Welcome to Sophos Security Chat Chat, episode 261 for the 26th of May, 2017. I'm Chester Wisniewski coming to you live from the new Vancouver Chat Chat studio, and I'm here with Paul Ducklin. Uh, welcome back, Paul. Well, thanks, Chester. We rather regretfully to our many fans have to say sorry for our long absence. I bumped into someone in, in Belfast, of all places, the other day at an event I was at, and he took me aside and said, what's wrong with you guys? Where have you been? Come on, I'm missing this. I used to listen to it every week. I've been on the road. You've been on the road a lot. Let's hope we can get back in the groove again, eh? Well, yeah, we, we, we love it when people uh, ask us. It reminds us that people are out there listening, and that's uh, it's good encouragement. So we, we appreciate your feedback, and and I'll, I'll use this as an opportunity as well for those of you that are using Apple devices uh, on iTunes to give us a little love on iTunes as well. It helps us get more listeners and uh, you know give us some feedback on iTunes. We always like that. That motivates us to try to keep in the habit as well. Being that it's been a long time, I don't think we can cover all the news since the mid-March podcast that we last did. But it'd be hard to ignore the whole WannaCry situation. So we can start there. Uh, obviously, it's a large enough topic to be its own podcast. So yes. there's a lot of content. It's nice to be able to do it as a short retrospective, isn't it? Than have to go into great detail. Um, so that's a slight luxury we have by coming, if you like, after the event. Yeah, I think, you know, the only thing I really wanted to cover and mostly just refer people to some of the information we have in our knowledge base or, or also on Naked Security with a lot more detail. Uh, I just wanted to cover off that we protect people against the exploit with our exploit mitigation product, uh, Intercept X, and we detect um, uh, all of the known payloads with uh, all of our, our AV products that are out there. And for specific details on any of those, there's a KB article, like I said, that covers it. More than anything, to me, it was kind of interesting from the perspective of this whole, it's a Windows XP problem, it's a this problem, it's a that problem. You know, obviously the, the patch was available from March. Uh, in fact, around the last chat chat, I believe that was the official uh, release of the Microsoft patch. And so for people complaining about how long it was since the last chat chat, you could remind people that may not have applied those patches <laughs> how point. long that was. Once it got into your organization through one open hole that probably shouldn't have been there, then it had a separate part inside the malware which would go around looking for open Windows file shares in what, sadly for many people, is still the soft, gooey interior of the network. Yeah, that's that's really the, the point here, isn't it? I mean, the, the once it gets inside, uh, it doesn't matter that your firewall on the outside is blocking it. Uh, it just takes that one vulnerable computer, and it may not even be your computer. It could have been somebody else's vulnerable laptop from a sales rep that comes in and connects to your your guest Wi-Fi or this kind of thing. And uh, I, I guess it brings up a lot of best practices uh, that are important and reminds us of them, aside from simply making sure we apply patches right away. It's also about network segmentation, something that we've done podcasts on before as well with, you know, using firewalls more effectively, which is not just as a barrier between the outside world and the inside world, but more of as a traffic cop between all different segments of your network, not only so that you can monitor when, say, stolen data might be exfiltrated, which is one great use of a firewall between network segments, but also to limit the damage of worms like this. Couldn't agree more. I suppose for you, for you and for me, that's something we take for granted because every time we go into our own virus lab, you know, we're going into a world with a load of separate networks that are separate for very good and obvious reasons, namely that that's where we deliberately let malware loose. But it doesn't just apply when you're messing around with known malware. Why not keep your accounts department separate from your legal department? Why would you want your cash registers 
on the same network as where all your other employees are browsing the internet and opening Word documents doesn't make sense, does it? No, and, it, and I mean, it, it partially proves the adage uh, that uh, we never learn. I mean, Conficker, of course, was a very similar situation in the uh, ending months of 2008. So almost, uh, you know, eight and a half years later, we reduced the machines impacted by about half, it looks like. I mean, the last numbers I saw in WannaCry suggested about a half a million. And I think the estimate uh, that we used on uh, Naked Security kind of near the end of the Conficker epidemic was around 1.2 million. Fortunately, I'm, I'm a Linux user, so I don't really have this problem, right? No, 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 because as everybody knows, SMB is all about Windows file shares, isn't it? So so uh, clearly that this is all Microsoft's doing, except, of course, news broke earlier this week of a critical uh, remotely exploitable bug in Samba, which is the Linux slash Unix open source project that essentially lets you run deal with Windows file sharing. It turns out that this bug, which goes by the catchy name of CVE 2017-7494, if you can guess the actual local path name on the server of the file you just uploaded to the network share, so maybe you guess it's slash var slash samba slash this app slash that directory slash bananarama.so or whatever it is. So if you can guess the local file name that matches the file share name you just uploaded, then you can cause that file to be launched and executed on the server. Bingo, a perfectly wormable remote code execution vulnerability. Probably isn't going to be a WannaCry situation. But it's certainly something that you do not want unpatched inside your organization or on any of your IoT devices. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, if there's one thing that you can kind of count on to be less patched than a Windows XP computer, it's likely to be a Linux computer running Zamba. We're, we're pretty bad at maintaining our Unix and Linux infrastructure, especially on IoT devices. And uh, it might be a good time to maybe do a little bit of an SMB audit on your network, you know, pull out the old... Fyodor uh, Nmap tool and see what's listening on 445 inside of your network and be sure that code is not running if it's not needed. If they're Windows machines and they're not file servers and they're not print servers, disable the server service. If they're Linux boxes and they're running Samba because somebody needed that six years ago on the Red Hat server that's in the closet down where the brooms are stored and that thing's still on the LAN, disable the service. I mean, patching's great, but you can't attack what's not there. Too often, this stuff is just laying around or somebody brought in the NAS from home or the Raspberry Pi or whatever that's still running old code, and it presents a risk to the network. So it's it's always best to eliminate it and then lock it down the best you can and then lastly patch it. Absolutely. I think a lot of people, particularly on small networks, they think, oh, I've got a router. The router does NAT. Inbound traffic is sort of blocked as a side effect of that. And I think a lot of people go, well, that means that NAT's all about security, so the bad guys can't get in until some application you install or some NAS box you install with a special auto-configure utility contacts your router and punches that hole in your firewall for your greater convenience. And as WannaCry showed, something can spread widely inside your network, even if it finds that one forgotten route in from the outside. You're right. I'll get rid of the NAT by switching to IPv6, and then the worm won't be able to scan the IP space because it's too large to find them on vulnerable machines. And then I still don't have to patch them, right? Because IPv6 addresses, like MAC addresses, are completely secret. Nobody can ever know what they are. 
<laughs> well, I mean, the, obviously the point here is security through obscurity is not exactly the strategy. We got to get better at this. So uh, another topic I want to talk a little bit about quickly uh, related to operating systems as well as is Android. Uh, there's a couple Android things that are interesting to me that we can talk about for a moment. Uh, one is a story that was br- uh, brought to my attention by a journalist earlier around what's called Amazon Underground. And without getting into the political wars between Apple, Amazon, and Google when it comes to the control of your smart home and which service you use to watch television shows and videos and how you get apps onto your your given branded smart device. Um, one of the things that uh, certainly in the Android ecosystem that's been happening as part of that battle is encouraging people to enable unknown sources on their phone because Google, for whatever reason, maybe doesn't have a given thing in your app store in the Google Play Store, but you want to access your Amazon, um, and I won't say the name of it, let's just say the the Amazon smart device you bought for your home. And, oh, to configure it, you got to have an app. So you enable unknown sources and you load the Amazon E app or Amazon A app. Of course, when you're done, disable the unknown sources right away because it's dangerous and it's risky, except I don't know that most people do. And sadly, uh, Amazon's launched a new service uh, called Amazon Underground, where they're offering a lot of paid Android apps for free that they're sort of uh, sponsoring or they're subsidizing on your behalf uh, to make you think Amazon is your friend. But the problem there is, of course, you need to enable this unknown sources on your smart device in order to access uh, and utilize this application. So um, are we going to see a lot more people putting themselves at risk on their Android devices in particular by forgetting to disable these kinds of features and allowing malware in? I think this idea that to open up your Android to some alternative apps that you need to open it up to all of them is regrettable. On the other hand, the the other way to solve that is for Google to go, right then, if you feel that strongly about it, we're going to follow the Apple model and you shop at the Google store only and that's that. Yeah, well, I mean, let's let's talk about a positive thing with Android. During the Google I.O. conference uh, last week, uh, Google announced that as part of Android O, the next version of their operating system, uh, the current version is known as Nougat. We're not sure what the name of the new one will be yet, but use your imagination for cookies and candies that start with O, and you'll probably come to the same conclusion many of us have. Uh, Yes, Chester, it's going to be Terry's Chocolate Orange. (laughs) Perhaps. At least in the United Kingdom. Either way, the O version of the operating system has what I would refer to, I think what I said to you earlier, Duck, was uh, an, quote, NT-style HAL. And for those of you that uh, are too young or uh, have too many scarred memories to want to think back to NT, the HAL was the hardware abstraction layer. And this is very much what I kind of read into Google's description of what they're doing in Android O as part of their effort to... Uh, eliminate this um, splitting of Android devices not getting security patches and not getting newer versions of the operating system. By abstracting the hardware, you no longer have to wait for LG or HTC or Samsung, etc. to necessarily fully vet their drivers on a new kernel and a total new build of the operating system and spend months of QA before they can deliver that fix to your carrier who then delivers it to your handset months later. But it sounds like a, perhaps a solution to keeping the platform open, but allowing people to stay up to date. Yeah, I think it would be a great idea because to be fair to Microsoft, they've been doing that you know, since, since Patch Tuesday started, haven't they? 
with, with varying degrees of success over time. They've certainly been in a position where you're able to get updates for, say, the operating system, for Microsoft key apps, for the HTML renderer, for image renderers, and all of that stuff. You can get those fixes regardless of what third-party apps you've got and regardless of which Bluetooth adapter you chose and which network card you chose to plug in. The core stuff where significant vulnerabilities have been found can be patched independently of all that stuff. We often talk about law and order on the chat chat to wrap things up as a reminder for our listeners that it's not all doom and gloom when we're talking about vulnerabilities and exploits and kits and worms and ransomware and all the things that sadly we talk about so frequently. Uh, I didn't personally want to get into any specific one, but just raise the bigger topic that while we may not be uh, you know, necessarily winning the war yet, uh, we're certainly winning some important battles. And just in the time that we've been off the air for about seven and a half weeks now, there's more arrests in many different cases than I can even think of hardly to name. I know of at least two that were in the last couple months in Spain. There was one in Czech Republic. There was the guy in, in near Toronto that was involved in the half billion accounts from Yahoo hack. Allegedly, I should say he has not been convicted. Many of these people have been being picked up all over the world. This is not just an American effort. This is not an Australian effort. This is not a British effort. It's largely the entire world coming together and uh, saying that you know enough is enough and, and doing the extradition and cooperating between law enforcement authorities in many different countries. And I'm seeing that pace quicken in 2017. I, I've never seen as many that, you know, when we were prepping for the podcast, we were going to maybe pick one to talk about. And I think you have one that you're going to share with us a little detail on, but I couldn't pick because just since we've been off, I can think of six or seven that I've read about that were large enough to make international headlines and that's just the big ones. And I'm, I'm feeling uh, my spirits are quite buoyed by this. Yes. Well, there was one that uh, John Dunn wrote about on Naked Security just earlier this week. This is uh, Europol announcing some successes they've had recently in dealing with crooks who are implanting malware or manipulation devices on ATMs. On, on this particular crime alone, which has made a lot of headlines in recent years, 11 arrests in France, four in Estonia, three in Norway, three in Czech Republic, two in Spain, two in Romania, and two in the Netherlands. So, you know, there's a, a concerted effort. And these are people who are getting found out, who are getting connected together, who are getting associated with a particularly pernicious crime. Now, I don't know that any of them have been convicted yet, but it's a good start, isn't it? And it shows that law enforcement are not powerless they don't really deserve some of the criticism they get for just being left behind by cyber crooks all the time. Well, I think that's a great place to end uh, this podcast. So we'll conclude Sofa Security Chat Chat 261. As always, our podcasts are available on TuneIn. They're on SoundCloud. They're in the iTunes Store, the Google Play Store, and lots of other places that you find fine podcasts. And as always, uh, you can get them at soundcloud.com slash sofasecurity. For all the latest security news, please visit nakedsecurity.sophos.com. And until next time, stay secure.